Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. All right, take two. Can you see me? Can you hear me? Ah, now I can hear you. Okay, we did it. <laughs> it's going to be the 35-minute session. <laughs> Hopefully, by starting the meeting over again, we'll still get off 40. But if not, you know, some technical difficulties, that's all part of it. Um, before we get started, I want to get into it. But the first thing I do have to do is get through an ad read real quick. I hope that's okay. Yeah. This week's episode of 39-Minute Conversations is not technically presented by the Weather app. That's right, the Weather app on your iPhone or Android device, probably. Whatever phone you have, it probably has a Weather app. I live in Los Angeles, and historically... I've never had to check the weather app. It has sat largely unused on my home screen, but in other parts of the country, sure. You gotta know how many layers to put on, if you need an umbrella, be dealing with a blizzard or sleet or whatever. In LA, you didn't have to check the weather. You'd wake up in the morning, put on shorts and a t-shirt, 99% chance you'd be all right because LA doesn't have weather. There are two seasons here, hot, not as hot. But lately, I don't know what's going on out there. It's madness, it's rainy, it's cold. There's snow in Pasadena, there's a tornado in Montebello. I have seen disaster movies. Snow and a tornado in Los Angeles is not a great sign. But hey, even if it's not the end of the world, I don't like it and I don't support it. We do not pay Los Angeles prices for Seattle weather, so LA, get it together. The weather app, I guess we need it now. And hello, I'm Brian T. Arnold, and this is 39 Minute Conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones. But I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. My guest today has written over 30 movies and TV projects at almost every major studio and network. His screenwriting credits include K9, Alaska, and Trojan War. He's also the host of GoIntoTheStory.com, the official screenwriting blog of the Blacklist, and which was also named the best of the best scriptwriting website by Writer's Digest. He's the author of The Protagonist's Journey, an introduction to character-driven screenwriting and storytelling, a number one bestseller on Amazon. Not to mention, he's currently an assistant professor of screenwriting at DePaul University. Folks, please join me in welcoming Scott Myers. Hey, Scott. Brian, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, sorry that the weather has been such a bad thing there. I, I told my kids when we left California and moved to the Midwest, I told them exactly the thing. I, I said we're gonna we're going someplace where we have something we didn't have in LA, and they said, "What's that?" And I said, "Weather." <laughs> so, I've lived here uh, for anyhow. 11, 12 years, and it's just it's a weird it's weird. I've never seen this, um, but you know what? We're gonna get through it. There are worse things in the world. And uh, Scott, you, I, I do want to start with this. You were one of the first people, like outside of my circle, that kind of made me feel like a real writer in a way. Um, hmm. By the time that my but by, by the time we met last year, I had you know I'd had some writing wins. I'd signed with my reps. I'd optioned a script. I'd gotten the blacklist. But those those things can kind of feel a little nebulous. They're hard to like explain to people outside the business and outward. Like you're kind of wondering how your life has changed and who's really noticing. And then you reach out. You've read my script. You want to interview me about it. And you were showing it. You were you were talking about it in your screenwriting class. And that was that made me feel a little bit more real. Like I was actually in this world. So I just wanted to start by telling you how much I appreciate that and, and thank you for it. Well, all the kudos to you. 
uh, you know, that blacklist is making the blacklist is a pretty exclusive club. I think you're probably more likely to make the NBA <laughs> to get on the, on the not, blacklist. Uh, not the way that I play basketball. Uh, if you have seen me oh, play okay. basketball, you would know that the NBA was never a real shot for me. Uh, yeah, but can LeBron James turn a classic sort of metaphor? You know, I don't know. I, you know, and can he hit a plot line point at the exact spot where it's supposed to land? Maybe. I've seen know. Space Jam too. I don't think he can, but he's good at so many yeah. other things. Um, <laughs> this podcast was born out of me locking down for the pandemic and still kind of not still to this day, not being super comfortable doing a lot of in-person things, the comedy and performing that I used to do. So I do like to start these episodes with... How have the last few years been for you? How did you stay sane during it? How has this time changed you? What did you learn about yourself? Feel free yeah. on any of that. Uh, so there was a band, a punk band called Blur. Uh, that's mm-hmm. pretty much it for me. <laughs> it's It's been like three years, just a complete blur. And the question still outstanding about the sanity issue Um <laughs> I uh, it, 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 it it coincided with me writing the protagonist journey, like literally just as I was starting the process of breaking that book and, and writing it. That's when we went into lockdown mode. And, and I have to say uh, that was really challenging because writing a book like that with like footnotes and, you know, all this, you know, analysis. And I, I'm it has over 300 movie and TV references, you know, <laughs> not just like it's a lot different than, oh, I'm sitting down with these characters in this laundromat and here's a scene, you know, mm-hmm. which is just, you feel your way through it. This was not that. Mm-hmm. Plus it was really a challenge. It's an academic book, but I wanted it to be readable. Mm-hmm. So every line I slaved over, you know. So during COVID, when like literally the first year, we couldn't even go outside. I just slinked down to my my basement <laughs> office here in my house, you know, in the the winter of, of Chicago, the gray gloom <laughs> facing these pages, like, how am I going to get through this? Right. Mm-hmm. But you know what, having written so many scripts, uh, I, you know, I've sold over 30, but I've, you know, written, I don't know, 40 plus you learn persistence. You just learn to do it. Even if it's just what you're writing, you don't feel very strongly about, at least it's mm-hmm. something that's down there and then you can rewrite it. So I think it really underscored for me, the importance of that um, I have to say, I actually, uh, we, I was teaching it through DePaul. We were teaching through zoom, you know, mm-hmm. and one of my MFA classes, I've now, I'm now starting my sixth MFA thesis class, wow. uh, this, this in the spring I've done five, one of them, they never met in person. Mm-hmm. They only met via zoom. And yet they're one of the strongest groups of cohorts, like hanging out and still together and supporting each other. It's strange. So I don't really know what lessons I learned other than just persistence and that um, being a screenwriter, you have to be able to roll with the punches. And that was certainly that when we were just doing all those Zoom meetings and everything else, you know. Well, let's crazy start time. with it's crazy times. Let's start with the book. I was going to I was going to work our way into it, but you've led us right in there. I'm down. Let's go ahead and start with uh, talking about the book. It is, as I mentioned, The Protagonist's Journey, an introduction to character driven screenwriting and storytelling, a number one bestseller on Amazon. You've written four years, you've run a very successful screenwriting blog, and then you decide to write a book about screenwriting. So I'm going to ask you the question that every screenwriter gets asked in a pitch meeting. Scott, why now? (laughs) Yeah, why now? 
<laughs> I had no intention of writing the book. Mm-hmm. None. There's so many books. I, I mean, you know, you go into Barnes and Nobles or wherever, and it's like there's this whole slew of these how-to books. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got connected with this London-based publishing company. They've been around since the 1850s, Palgrave Macmillan. And they started talking to me and asked me, they said, Scott, why don't you go and look at what textbooks they're using in film schools? Mm-hmm. And so I did. And no knock against some of these books, you know, but I saw a complete dearth, I guess that's the word, of work on character. It's like all plot, 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 plot. This needs to happen on that page, you know, all that sort of thing. No knock on that. I mean, a screenplay fundamentally is, uh, you know, a, a stru- it is plot. It is, but but that's not the totality of st- story structure. Mm-hmm. The plot is just the events that happen. You know, what goes on underneath every moment, there's something else going on underneath. And for me, it's not only about just trying to uh, get people to write from a place where they're focusing on character, but that that's where the storytelling should start. You know, there's this idea, I call it the protagonist's journey. Honestly, uh, obviously, it's an homage to the hero's journey. I, I studied Joseph Campbell back when I was in college in 1973, the Paleolithic era or whatever. Um, So I've been a huge fan of Joseph Campbell ever since. But the idea that the story begins with the characters and that the protagonist, the journey they go on is the journey they need to go on. That's like Campbell, that's like a direct quote. The journey they take is the journey the hero needs to take. And so that that that's how anyhow I went back to Palgrave Mimble and I said, no, there's no books out there that I could tell that are really focusing on character-driven storytelling. So that led to that. Why now? Because there's there's just like literally nothing out there. And I and you're talking about film schools and people going off and you know having a leg up in the in the in the film and TV business. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to be, you know, promoting that, it seems to me. So that's why I wrote the book. Your mantra that you say in the book a few times is start with character end with character, find the story in between, which is something that, yeah, I've, when I read a lot of scripts these days, again, not knocking any particular books or philosophies of screenwriting, I think it can become very apparent when someone is just kind of checked kind of the boxes of like, this should happen by this page, this should happen this page and character. And people are writing more with their heads of like this is exactly how a script should look to they're missing the character in the heart sometimes um there's a quote that i do want to if you don't mind me reading a quote from the book uh i need to find it here we go when we start our journey into a story universe we should carry little in the way of preconceptions about events and arcs our focus should be on immersing ourselves in the lives of the characters let them drive the story crafting process and that's something that i really related to because it's like something that I've struggled with when I've been trying to do an outline or focus on plot I I can't find it because I don't know who the characters are and yeah it's just really hard for me so I usually find it by writing um I guess that I mean and seeing those in those and I see scripts like this that have that problem and I see that a lot do you think again, not knocking anything in particular, that these structural guides have had maybe a negative effect on upcoming writers that you're teaching or even on modern film and TV. Yeah, uh, you raise a really important question. Um, 
you know, I understand the mentality. I get it why people would want to simplify the process. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's a structure to the plot. And if we can fill in these blanks, then that's screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Because it, 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 you know, it avoids a lot of the messiness, frankly, that exists when you do immerse yourself in the lives of your characters. Characters like us, like people, individuals, are complex figures. And so it's a messy process. Some of them may not want to talk to you. Some of them may <laughs> tell you lies mm-hmm. when you get to know them. But uh, so I understand the the idea of simplifying. And I have to say, whether whatever the intention of the writers are, some of these books have had, in my view, a detrimental impact on the, the, the perception of screenwriting. Like you can reduce it to these, you know, X amount of story beats and whatnot. And that... Frankly, I hear this from my screenwriter friends who are actively working in Hollywood now. They'll often get these notes that like a, a, a development executive who's a Stanford MBA and has no background in creative writing has read one book, a how-to book, and they're saying, well, no, no, you know, your 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 act one end is on 31. It's got to be on 25. You know, so it's I do think it has had a negative effect. Most important thing about it is you mentioned it, feelings. I think that when you talk to development executive managers and agents, they want to feel something when they read new material. You know, they want to have an emotional experience. And so if you're staying up top all the time and just working on the plot, figuring out these events, that's just not going to get it. That's just the, you know, to me, the path toward formulaic writing. If, on the other hand, you do get to know your characters and you spend all, you know, you spend a significant amount of time living with them not even thinking about plot you're just getting to know them through a set of exercises and uh interviews and whatnot that the plot will emerge from there and moreover the characters are going to be these richly multi-faceted divine defined characters that actors are going to want to play the people when they read the material go i i really feel something remember the there's that great great ted talk that andrew stanton did which uh Mm -hmm. if only there were a blog that transcribed it for (laughs) part series (laughs) right uh, because he said that the number one like mantra that we should have in mind as storytellers is to make me care, not make Andrew Stanton care, but make the audience care, make me, make the reader care. And how do you do that? I tell my students, care actor, character. That's where the actors are going to make you care because they're playing a character, care actor, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's no downside, none, zero, to like spending time with your characters and getting to know them in, in a really intense and immersive way. All that's going to do is is enable you to create these multifaceted, you know, uh, complex figures. But also, it's going to drive the plot because, in my view, the again, the journey the protagonist takes is the journey they need to take, which mm-hmm. is directly tied to their plot line experience. So the A story, right? You, you that is definitely a Joseph Campbell thing, but it's also you cite a lot in this book somebody that I maybe didn't expect to see in, in a, in a storytelling book, you, you talk, you quote a lot from Carl Jung. Um, and, you know, in my, like, my worry would be like, Oh man, this is going to be like, I can't understand Carl. I can't understand. I'm not going to understand this, but you, you kind of boil it down in a way that makes a lot of sense. And it's such, such a simple concept, but one that applies screenwriting so well is you talk about how basically what a plot is, is a care. You've created this character in their conflicts and it is making the the conflicts in the in their internal complex conflicts into external conflicts so i would love yes. to if you could like maybe wax a little bit on on how 
you know, you found these Jungian philosophies to and and incorporated them into your screenwriting teaching and philosophies. He is, in my view, the ultimate screenwriting guru. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> Carl Jung. Uh, I don't know whether his theories worked like in real life, you know, but sure. when I was reading him, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't learn about him until I went to Yale graduate school. I didn't know that Joseph Campbell was a huge, hugely influenced by Carl Jung. In fact, Campbell edited a, a volume of Carl Jung's writings. But then you, when you read Carl Jung, you realize, oh, this is where the hero's journey came from, man. There's a quote. I, I remember reading it like two decades ago or even longer than that. I'm reading this thing. It's a comment that the observation Jung makes. And here's a direct quote. When an inner situation is not made conscious, it happens outside as fate. Mm -hmm. He's talking about real life. Like when we have a, a, a circumstance, he goes on to talk about when when it remains, when we remain undivided and, the, and we're not dealing with our stuff inside, these dynamics we're avoiding them, including the shadow, which is the dark negative impulses, that the universe is going to create circumstances which force us to. And I read that and I was like, that's the protagonist's journey. That's totally <laughs> the protagonist's journey. Sure. The protagonist starts off the story like Joseph Campbell says, they're just making do. They need to change, right? Mm -hmm. And so now you think here they are with their psychological state at the beginning. What Jung is talking about is saying that that actually is precipitating the universe to step in and say, uh-uh. You think you're living your life the way you're supposed to be living. Nope. Boom. Plot point. <laughs> Inciting incident. Call to adventure. You have to change. Mm -hmm. And that the nature of that journey, that, you know, that want and need language, I didn't come up with it. That's been around forever. Sure. But this idea of like, by the end of act one, the want is now the conscious goal. What are they consciously attempting to do? They're going to save the girl. They're going to defeat the bad guy or whatever. There's the need the unconscious goal. That's the real reason why the story exists is that they have to get in touch with this thing that's inside. They've been repressing it, suppressing it, avoiding it, whatever. It's inside them already. Carl Jung says, the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you are. Mm. It's already there. Uh, uh, metamorphoses, uh, Ovid, when he wrote Metamorphoses, the seeds of change lie within. It's already there. Mm -hmm. Joseph Campbell says the hero's journey is not a journey of attainment, but a journey of reattainment, reconnection. So the classic example is Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. At the very end, you know, Glinda says to her, Dorothy, you've always had the power to go home. Well, why did she have to go on the journey? Well, she wouldn't have known that otherwise. That. Mm -hmm. So that's the hero's journey. That's what Carl Jung's talking about. We each of us, his process is called individuation. That's our task in life is to get in touch with all aspects of ourself. You know, our associations, our memories, our influences, our instincts, our taboos, all that stuff that makes it. Well, you can totally transplant that to working as, with a, as a writer with your characters and in particular your protagonist. And if you can keep drilling down and find that deepest need, that what is that unconscious goal that drives everything. All the characters that the, uh, the protagonist intersects with, they serve that story. Every event that happens, all the plot line points are all forcing the protagonist to change, to get out of their old ways of being, discover this thing that's going to energize and move them toward their new self. So that's my little sermon. Uh, <laughs> sorry if I went off a little long there, Brian. No, I love you it. You can tell I'm pretty passionate about it. I, I can tell and I love it. In, in the book, there are... 
a ton of great exercises that turn, you know, this philosophical thought into action. You know, these um, that, you know, you're laying out the characters want their need, how the characters serve that story, how to start breaking that story. Um, and it's a book that I honestly wish I would have read sooner. It is not just theory. You find a way to make this theory practical. How did you land on the on the exercises, on the on the methods to tap into this and actually practice them? Okay, well, that's a great question. So much akin to like one when Palgrave McMillan said, why don't you look at what film schools are using as textbooks? And I was like, there's nobody doing anything about character. Well, back when I started a screenwriting masterclass, which is my online educational resource back in 2010, and I launched it with Ted, Tom Benedict, who's like the first screenwriter I met in Hollywood. He wrote Cocoon. He's written dozens of projects. And it was like every, you know, he's worked with just, you know, every great producer and director mm -hmm. in town. Um, I, the very, very first class I created was a class called prep from concept to outline. Cause I didn't see anybody out there dealing with this critical thing of breaking story, mm -hmm. you know, which is like, that's most of the grunt work, right. Is, mm -hmm. is breaking the story. So it was a six week workshop. I've road tested that workshop now with over a thousand students. Mm -hmm. And so those questions, those exercises have developed out of doing that over the years. And there's six of these there's others you can do but there's six of them and i divide them into two parts one i call indirect engagement exercises and the other is direct engagement exercises so the indirect engagement exercises are where we're thinking about the characters so there's a distance where we're observing them and so they're you know these are not my ideas but a questionnaire i mean there's just you know the half dozen or more questionnaires that float around online Biography, I do a little bit different there. Like you ask these questions like, who are they? Why are they? How are they? Where are they? All of those things, you spend time thinking about that. The third one is a free scene. Now you're starting to move closer to the character. You're just putting that character in a scene with another character and you're just blurting that out. But that's more about us at a distance where we're thinking about the character. It's the direct engagement exercises where you really find the diamonds. And so the, the the next step in is what I call the interview. And that's where, you know, you're a journalist and interviewing someone or you're a, an employer and they're an employee coming in. I imagine putting the character in that position. My favorite one is I'm a psychiatrist. They're my patient. And I learned this, this uh, trick when I was at Yale because I got a master's of divinity degree. I had to take a certain amount of courses that involved like counseling. And this is a counseling technique. You ask questions. Whatever their answer is, you rephrase it as a question. So all you're doing is just putting it back. You're acknowledging that you hear them, but then you're using that question to keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And so you're literally doing a IU thing. You're typing it out or handwriting it. Like, what is that conversation? What is that 45-minute session going to be like? And again, some of the characters may not want to talk to you. You may have to go back and do this three or four times. At some point, you can say, you know what? I just went to the uh, uh, you know municipal court. You are now mandated to answer these questions, or we're going to be here forever. And so sure. you can kind of put that pressure on them, right? But then they start to talk. By the way, this is a great way for you to start to get hear their dialogue, absolutely, their speech patterns. Um, and then the the next one is more of the the real meditative type of uh, experience. It's like I tell students, it's like Vulcan, the Vulcan mind melt, where you're getting in their head and they're getting in your head. You shut the door, you turn off your phone, you get in front of the thing, you do some deep breathing, you get the character in your mind. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, okay, for 15 minutes, I'm going to blind type. 
you close your eyes and you put your fingers on the keyboard and off you go. And you just type. And it's going to be like meditation. There'll be times where, oh, I got to walk the dog. I have to do my taxes. You just let it go, right? But boom, 15 minutes later, the bell goes off. You look at what you've got. You know, 80% of it may be gobbledygook. You have no point of it. But then all of a sudden, they're like, there's a car hanging off the side of a bridge in a rain slick night. Wow, that's so specific. Where'd that come from? You know, there's a birthday cake that's smashed on the floor of a kitchen. Where, where, so you start to, then you go back and do interviews with the characters. Does this thing mean anything to you about a car that's in a rain slick road? You start to unpack this stuff. This is all obviously, uh, we're acting on faith. This is the magic of writing where we believe the characters exist because they do in their own story universe. Right. And that if you if you reach out to them, you open your hands and say, I am here, I want to know, I believe you want me to tell your story. You do these exercises, like the, the stream of consciousness or the uh, monologue, the, the, those last one I was just talking about, That's you start churning up all the stuff and you start finding all this amazing things. I tell my students one last thing. I tell my students, I say, look, when you're going through this content, you create a master brainstorming list. You put everything you discover during these uh, character interactions into this master brainstorming list. Don't pre-edit. Don't throw anything away. Imagine if uh, uh, you know the screenwriter for Citizen Kane had said, "Snow globe? That's stupid." No, you got to sure. keep it all there because you just never know how it's going to come in handy. But yes, these exercises. Then there's a process whereby that's receptive writing, where you're just like living with the characters. But then you step outside the story universe and you start looking at connections and moments and you start to see scenes and plots uh character archetypes you see these relationships the subplot relationships um and so you go back and forth between the receptive and and uh, and and executive writing and eventually you end up with an outline but you got to start with the characters yeah yeah i definitely agree um one thing you do in the book you mentioned it earlier you there are what you said over 300 examples of movies and tv shows that you're citing um yes. how did and you know you do you read some of these books and it's very, you'll see the same scripts over and over again. They're obviously great, well-structured, really great movies. Tootsie, Midnight Run, Back to the Future, like uh, movies that you always see in these books. But you're you're citing things I haven't seen a ton of being cited. Things like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Finding Nemo, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. How did you land on what movies you were going to, and shows that you wanted to pick and cite and what lessons you wanted to pull from them? Well, three things. One, um, I wanted to make sure to include TV. Uh, I, I, I don't. I haven't read hardly any of these how-to books. I read Sid Field's book, Screenplay Foundations of Screenwriting. But I, you know, you, hanging around the screenwriting universe, you hear things and whatnot, and I talk to people. Um, but I, I understand that most of them focus on movies and not TV. Well, mm -hmm. you know, so I spent a lot of time focusing on TV there, particularly series like limited series or series that have. Uh, like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was great because over the course of four seasons, she literally goes through the exact arc of, that I talk about, disunity, deconstruction, reconstruction, unity. Like each season aligns exactly with that. It was so perfect. So there's one thing. I wanted to include TV. Two, it was very important for me to include contemporary titles mm -hmm. because I, you know, I work with college and graduate students mm -hmm. and they get to sign this material and they're like, I know Casablanca is supposed to be good, but come on, man. It's like, you know, <laughs> black and white. What about, you know, so the, I can't, I've, I've, I've gotten letters from, from, from students in college programs saying, thank you for including material like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and Moonlight 
you know, uh, th that are contemporary titles that they can relate to because they've seen it, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a second consideration. The third consideration was I wanted to include uh, titles that, that had female-centric leads, that had people of color, that had a rich diversity of ethnic and socioeconomic and cultural backgrounds, mm -hmm. because I firmly believe now more than ever, we need great storytellers to tell stories of the wide variety uh, of human experience, to put a face on the other over and over again so that we can try, hopefully, to develop and engender some sense of empathy for people, you know, not 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 the least of which the stories are interesting, they're fascinating. Yeah, those were three three considerations I had. Like I was, that's a very conscious effort on my part in terms of those titles. As a screenwriting teacher and author of the screenwriting book, what is the perfect script? The one script that you would point to and say, "This can't be any better," and is it mine? <laughs> in the end what a great script well, i was going to ask you what's going on with that before i answer what, what's going on with that project i uh, love that script that was great uh, thank you I, was just, I wasn't trying to fish but i'll take that uh i can tell you more off mic i can say that there it is still it has been optioned by a great production company who are wonderful there's a great director attached to it uh who's working on something else right now i'm hoping it's their next feature but you know it's it's like everything else in this industry, it takes long. Everything takes longer than you think it will. Um, but I'm very excited. I'm very hopeful. Um, I would love to tell you more, but we'll have to do that. You know, not okay. for public consumption. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, it's a terrific script, and it is the protagonist's journey. I mean, you <laughs> do see most of that stuff is just instinctual, Brian. Don't you think? I mean, everybody's heard, seen, read thousands and thousands of stories. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is not like, you know. Oh my God, revolutionary. But the idea that a character starts off in a state of disconnection from who they're supposed to be. And this is, by the way, the number one narrative archetype, I think. it's called, I call it the unity arc, where they move from disunity to unity. Well, they're not just going to jump there. They got to go through a process of disconnecting themselves or disassembling their old ways of being. That's the first half of Act 2, generally. The second half of Act 2 is now they're reconnecting with it and they're evolving in a positive way. So it's just sort of logical, really. Mm -hmm. uh, but perfect script... Uh, I, I, I'll, okay. Three. Okay. okay I'll give you please. three. Well, and, 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 well, the number one thing is the apartment. That's absolutely my favorite movie of oh, all great time. Great movie. Great movie. And, and it has to be up there because that could have failed so badly. The, mm -hmm. the, the tone of that thing is pitch perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just incredible, but more contemporary scripts. Uh, I'd say, uh, Little Miss Sunshine is just uh, a wonderful script. Um, it's really an interest. I give it to my students, I say, because it's interesting because really there are three protagonists in that story. The central character is Olive. She doesn't really change. These mm -hmm. three other characters, Wayne, Frank, and Richard, they do change. Mm -hmm. And and so that's an interesting story. Very, very well constructed uh, story. Well written. It's just lovely. Uh, Michael Clayton, yeah. Tony Garoy, yeah. it's just yeah. a masterpiece, you know. To me, when I broke in, it was like Chinatown. Everybody said Chinatown's the perfect script. I think Michael Clayton is probably, you know. And then I have to do something from Pixar because I love uh, Pixar. Up, mm -hmm. Up is mm -hmm. just a, a phenomenal story that just hits these emotional marks. Just it's great. So, but you know, those are all great examples. That's a very, very, very solid list. Um, 
If you if there were one big takeaway that you would want readers to take away from protagonist's journey, uh, what would it be? Well, you know, you mentioned that that mantra: begin with character, end with character, find the story in between. I mean, to really just embrace that. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to trust that if you reach out to your characters and you immerse yourself in their lives, I use that verb intentionally. I mean, really go into their lives and live with them and allow them the freedom to speak and feel and think and you engage them and you give yourself over to that process for you know at least a few weeks that the story is going to start to emerge again this goes back to that jungian notion when the inner situation is that conflict is not made conscious it happens outside as fate so there's a synergy between what's going on in the inner life of the character and what happens in the plot and so that's absolutely the most important thing to me is that, you know, if, if people would just start focusing on character and trusting that they're going to get to the plot, it's not going to be far removed from Aristotle. There's going to be a beginning, middle and an end. The, the page counts may not hit exactly where some of the, the how-to books say, but if you, if you get us to care about those characters, mm -hmm. that's, you know, make me care, like Andrew Stanton said. So yeah. that would be my number one key, yeah. The book is clearly resonating with a ton of people. It was number one bestseller on Amazon, like I mentioned. And the blurbs praising this book from, you know, Kristen Kiwi-Smith, Lisa Joy, Shane Salerno, Brad Inglesby, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, Stephanie Polson, Peter Craig, David Rabinowitz, so on and on and on. How does it feel to have a book that's been received so well by writers at every level, both starting out and, you know, who are doing the damn thing? Uh, well, I, you know, uh, I, I'm honored, obviously, but they're just responding, I think, to the fact that somebody's saying something that needs to be said, <laughs> which is that <laughs> they live with these characters and work with these characters and they hear this conversation all the time. If you're writing in TV, it's all character. I mean, you can't say, you know, you, you may spend five minutes talking about your pilot script and your pitch deck and whatnot, but the, the executive is going to say, all right. Why season two? Tell me what episode 304 is going to be. And so now that's all about the character and their their evolution. Are you watching Ted Lasso at all? Are you, are you, are you Ted Lasso Ted? is maybe my favorite show right now. I adore it. Okay, so there's a perfect example there. Remember little Nate in season one? Mm -hmm. Nate was this little secret, this quiet little dude. But he served as a mentor character for, for Ted because Ted knew nothing about English football. And Nate actually studied is a student of the game and studies, you know, football theory and whatnot. And so he was providing, helping uh, Ted along. Season two, he switches archetypes. He starts to get jealous of Ted because Ted's getting all the notoriety when actually it's it's Nate's ideas that are that are helping the team, you know, go along. He's like become a wunderkin and all this stuff. He's getting angrier and angrier. There's a whole father story where you know that he's like his father mm -hmm. just, you know, just doesn't like him. I'm not doesn't like him, but, you know, disapproves of it. He can never satisfy his father. So mm -hmm. there's a father-son thing going on between him and Ted. Season two, he becomes a trickster. He starts planning stories with the tabloids and whatnot, which leads to the end of season two. The very last image, he's become the manager of a rival club. Right. And now he's going to be in season three, a nemesis character. So that's what I'm talking about. You You need to, like, live with the character so you can see the the richness and complexity and you can exploit that from season to season um so i don't know where we started with this but again character character, character. <laughs> um so many writers have have so much respect for you the way you teach the way you approach story and character 
Um, is this a position that you saw yourself finding yourself in at this point in your career or life or ever in your writing journey? Well, I actually, I don't know if you know this, but I went to the University of Virginia undergraduate um, and I majored in religious studies. My family was very religious and I was already interested and in, always interested in the big questions of life. And so I majored in religious studies and then went to Yale Divinity School and got a three-year Master's of Divinity degree. I was going to get a PhD. I was really fascinated by how it went from this social justice word preaching the apocalypse and, and basically socialism um, to church, mm -hmm. uh, what we call primitive Christianity, that first century or so. That was my, I was going to you know become an academic. Mm -hmm. I was going to teach. I was going to get a PhD. But uh, my parents on my 14th birthday got me a guitar much to their chagrin, because <laughs> I started to write songs and became, you know, the folk era. So I just, I knew that if I didn't like pursue, um, see, this is, this is young. Every, when I drive up to Yale Divinity School, I get this feeling in my gut. I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. There's something else I'm supposed to be doing. Become who you are. I had to follow that creative instinct. I knew if I didn't do that, I would be uh, live a, I'd probably be a very successful academic, but I would not be satisfied. So I took a year off and that became the rest of my life. And so, but I did have that teaching instinct from early on. It was in a completely different field. <laughs> it was, you know, early Christian studies. Yeah. So now I'm back at I'm back at the, in, in academics now since 2016. I'm like literally an assistant professor. This is my mm -hmm. tenure year. I'll find out if I get tenure <laughs> at the end of the year. I assume I'm rooting for you. I hope so. You deserve it. Um, what would you say? We don't have like, okay, we have about, we have about three minutes left. So before we go uh -oh. into any more questions, I do want to go ahead and say, um, I want to give you this opportunity to plug the book, plug the website, plug where people can follow you, whatever you want to plug. I'm going to give you the stage. Okay. Uh, well, okay. So there's the book, uh, the protagonist journey and introduction to character driven screenwriting and storytelling right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the carol merrill thing from uh, uh, uh one of those game shows from back there um so yeah the book um i encourage people to read it i you know i'm, I'm humbly say that it's actually quite good i mean mm -hmm. i'm just i'm not a very agree. type um so there's that there's my website my blog uh, go into the story uh it's been around for now will be 15 years in may oh, wow. it's the official yeah. blog of the blacklist it's got thousands of free articles i i started it as an educational thing to like try and create opportunities, resources, free resources for people. So there's that. Screenwritingmasterclass.com is my edu online educational resource. Twitter, I'm still on Twitter until uh, uh, what's his face decides <laughs> he's going to blow too. it up or whatnot. Me too. Go into I the story. I can't get off of it. <laughs> yeah. So that's basically it. Uh, occasionally, uh, you know, I get up on the roof and I have semaphores. So you can look for those here in Chicago. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't um, know if there, so between the book, between uh, the teaching, do you have any stories of people you've mentored who maybe are success stories or proudest moments of your career to this point? Well, uh, the only screenwriting classes Lisa Joy took were with me. So there's that. <laughs> Yeah, she was. She would tell me, but yeah, my boyfriend was reading your notes and said they were really good. And I'm like, okay, I had no idea. Well, it's Joan and Owen, so uh, sure. so there's that. But no, you know, I have tons of of students that I taught at DePaul and elsewhere that have gone on to do things. I just was interacting with someone who's in the UK. She literally did an MFA at DePaul, 
um, and was because her husband couldn't get a green card here or whatnot. She had to go to the UK. What am I going to do? So I got in touch with some people. She now works as a development executive in, in London, you know, oh, wow. so I, I love, and then I get emails from people, you know, because of the uh, blog, I, uh, Scott, thank you so much. I made the nickel. I won the nickel or, you know, or I won this contest. So it's just gratifying. Again, I just want great storytellers, great stories, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that's when that happens, it's great. So. What do you think happens after you die? Um, I don't, I don't believe in an afterlife. I really don't. Mm. I think we need to do it here. Mm. So your meeting has ended. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to 39 Minute Conversations, hosted and produced by Brian T. Arnold. Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay too. Thank you and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.